Good morning, church family. It's a delight to be on this side of the pulpit for a change. Uh, for the past many years, I've been sitting in the pew on the other side of the pulpit. Uh, I do preach now and then, um, but I'm, I'm really delighted to be speaking here today. This is the first time I've spoken at Azure Hills. I remember the first time I walked into this church was when Maury Venden was the pastor. Some of you probably were around and remember Elder Venden. He was one of my preaching heroes, and so it was, it was great to be able to just come into this church and hear him in person versus all the tapes. You know, remember the, no, the audio tapes, right? And the Walkman. And, uh, yeah, yeah, you remember that. Um, but anyway, it's a delight to be here. Thank you, um, Pastor Van Cross, for the opportunity to share. Would you pray with me? Father divine, we ask that your word be our rule, that your spirit be our teacher, and that your greater glory be our utmost concern. Through Christ Jesus we pray. Amen. The Bible is a book about real people with real problems in real lives just like us. Do you believe that? The Bible does not gloss over the shortcomings and um, failures of seemingly great people, but rather openly, candidly exposes them for us. Why? Well, the Apostle Paul gives us a little clue in his letter to the Romans, chapter 15. He says that these things were written aforetime. What things? Stories of the Bible, the characters in the Bible. These things were written aforetime for our learning, that we, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. It's a gift, the Bible, and it's absolutely foundational to discipleship, to life with Christ, that we accept the Bible and these stories as stories for us about real people. Well, one such person to whom I'm referring today is a man by the name of David. We all know David. We love David. We love his story. This is a man that experienced incredible mountaintops, great victories, but he was no stranger to epic failure. I believe at the end of the day, though, we're told that David was a man after God's own heart. And so David is someone that we can learn from today. And I'd like to share a story. It's a rather obscure passage in the life of David. In fact, it's only two verses. About an undisclosed period of time that David lived in a cave called Adullam. I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles with me, however you choose to do that, whether it be on your phone, uh, those of you at home watching online, your computer, to 1 Samuel chapter 22, 1 Samuel chapter 22, and we're going to reflect upon two verses here. I'm going to weave in some other Psalms that David wrote. Um, perhaps you're not aware of this, but David wrote several Psalms 
as he was living in this cave. We know this from the inscription on the psalm, and we'll get to that in a moment. But for now, I encourage you to follow along with me. 1 Samuel chapter 22. And we're going to read the first two verses together. <clears throat> so David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's household heard of it, they went down there to him. Everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him, and he became captain over them. Now, there were about 400 men with him. Before I talk about David's life, I'd like to talk about your life, because I believe, I am convinced that there are some people here today, perhaps watching online, who are also living in a cave. I don't mean a literal cave. I mean a metaphorical cave, a psychological cave, an emotional cave. And the cave is dark. It is discouraging. It is disappointing. It is dismal. And perhaps the most challenging part of it all is that the truth about your situation, about your cave, for some reason you don't feel that you can really disclose it to anyone because it's desperate. I came across an article not long ago by Patricia Quigley. She writes in Rosemead's Journal of Psychology and Theology an interesting account she titles it Self-Disclosure in Biblical Perspective. It goes like this. It's nothing short of tragic that many Christians are today finding more acceptance, support, and need fulfillment in secular encounter groups than they are in their churches. You know, someone once said that the church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. But I wonder about that sometimes. She goes on relating her own experience, and she says, At church I find no signs of illness around me, outfitted in Sunday best shoes and smiles. We talk about what we're doing, but we seldom talk about how we're feeling. We may tell about spiritual victory, but we carefully camouflage defeats or struggles. On the Sundays, I arrive at church in acute need of spiritual healing. I feel alone and out of place in this atmosphere. I feel like a measles-spotted child in a nursery full of healthy youngsters. Once or twice, I tried to talk of my distress during a Sunday school class, but sensed the tension build around me as I described my symptoms. When the fever of struggle or defeat hits me now, I simply remain silent and isolated from those around me who seem to know only perpetual good health. 
Fortunately, during my down times, I have found a company of fellow strugglers in the Bible like David, like Job, Peter, Thomas, and Paul. They spoke honestly and movingly about their struggles, and it's frustrating to know these men of the Bible better than people in my Sunday school class and church. You know, I find that account tragic, don't you? And you can't glamorize a cave. And it's wrong to just read the black and white uh, print in the Bible, David escaped to the cave of Adullam. Zip, move right along as if nothing happened. Unfazed by the pathos, the emotion of this experience. David lost all that he had depended upon. If you take a look at the context of David's life up to this point, all the crutches that he leaned on were removed. Let's just recap. Uh, David lost his job in Israel's army under Saul. Anyone lost their job? He lost his wife. Okay, she was still with him in body, but not in heart. Anyone struggling in their relationships? He lost his home. He lost his counselor, Samuel. He lost his close personal friend, Jonathan. And finally, David lost his self-respect as he dribbled in his beard, scratching on the gates of the king of Gath, the enemy. This was one of the lowest lowest and loneliest moments of David's life, and don't you forget it, you who know and love the life of David, and don't ignore it. You know, I get weary of this philosophy that seems to to raise its head ever so often, that somehow the Christian life is just floating from one cloud to the next. It is not. Oh, there's joy. Oh, there's peace. We're going to talk about the, the, the fruit of the Spirit. There is all of that. But let's not forget the reality that just like other people, Christians contend with betrayal. Emotional struggles and serious physical illnesses. Believers experience labors and sorrows and temptations and trials. Yes, Christians get anxious. They experience weakness, necessities, injuries, slanders, rebukes, humiliations, confusions, corrections, and contempt. Christians on their journey suffer assaults from Satan and persecution from the unbelieving world. And if that's where you are this morning, I want you to know it's all part of God's strategy for your life. It's been said the conversion of a soul is the miracle of a moment, but the making of a saint, that's the task of a lifetime. And God isn't about to give up on you yet, even if you're in a cave. He's not through with you, even if you're the lowest that you've ever been. 
I want you to really feel what David felt. As an artist, you know, he was all, he was all about self-expression. And he wrote these, these incredible psalms. Let me just read one of them to you that was written from, that, from the darkness. It's a dispatch from the darkness, if you will. You can put your hand right there and just come over with me to Psalm 142. This is a masquil, a teaching psalm of David. That's what we read when he was in the cave. Psalm 142. I'm just going to read a few scattered verses here. In verse 4, look to the right and see, for there's no one who regards me. There's no escape from me. No one cares for my soul. Do you feel it? Do you feel what he's going through? Verse 7, bring, bring my soul out of prison so that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me. Now back to verse 6, give, give heed to my cry, for I am brought very low. Do you feel like that? Have you ever felt that way before? Just say it. Just admit it. Declare it. I have a witness right here. I know you're not alone. <laughs> you know, if I were to just stop this message right now, if I were to fold my Bible and just walk out those doors, you'd only hear half of this teaching. Now, it's true we believe in a sovereign God, don't we? We believe in a God who's all-powerful, but from a human perspective, from a human perspective, when we're in that cave, our outlook on life is filtered through that experience. And we look around and we, and we think, oh, I've done this, and I've caused that. I've hurt this person. I've just made such a muck of things. I never seem to be able to measure up. End my life. You might think that that might be an extreme position to take. But I don't know if you're aware of this, but there is a suicide epidemic in our midst, especially among young people, among teenagers who are in a cave and who are so lonely and they feel so shut out. And many are taking their own life. Now, there are a lot of reasons for this, why we may ask, but ultimately, you feel that you've come to the end of your rope and there is no hope. You are in the absolute depths of despair, like David. And so many conclude, conclude, end my life. But I want you to hear this morning. Perhaps it has gone that far, and perhaps the cave is so dark. I want you to hear this. God says, no, don't end your life. God says, reroute your life. Reroute your life. If you only hear one thing that I say today, and you walk out these doors, I want you to hear this. I want you to take this away with you. God can reroute your life. Do you believe that this morning? God can reroute your life. So how did God reroute David's life? Because that's what he did. What lessons can we draw from David's life? Well, let's go back to the text. In 1 Samuel 22, you already read it. 
The clues are there. How did God reroute David's life? Well, he sent people to him. David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when who showed up? His brothers and all his father's household. When they heard of it, they went down there to him. Now, it's interesting that God would send David's family down to him. If you will recall uh, David's life story up to this point, uh, especially the moment when Samuel the prophet shows up and he's looking to anoint the next king. It's going to be one of the sons in the house of Jesse. He's not sure who it is. He's waiting for God to tell him. And uh, Jesse just parades one son after the next. They keep coming through. And Samuel's like, it's not any of these. And so he asks Jesse, he says, Jesse, uh, is there anyone else? If you will recall the story, um, you have to use a little uh, sanctified imagination here. But if you read in between the lines, I can imagine Jesse standing there. And he's uh, scratching his beard. You know, what, you know when you're trying to access some memory, you kind of look off to the side. You see him sort of looking there, and, and, he, and he can't seem to bring anything, anyone to mind. And then all of a sudden, he says, ah, yes, I do have another son. That's what the text says. Ah, yes, wait a minute, I do have another son. Someone go fetch David, little David. His dad didn't even give him a lot of thought. Now, some of you might come from such incredible homes where you have very supportive family, but not everyone in this room has come from such a home. And believe it or not, I think David was probably in the latter group. They didn't really think much about David. When David shows up, what does his brother say on the front line, right, on the battlefield? Oh, David, you've come here to be seen. So for some of us, and I think that David is in this category, for some of us, we don't really welcome our family when we are in a cave. In fact, most of us, when we're, when we're in a cave, the last thing we really want is for someone to show up. We want to be left alone, don't we? But God's doing something here. God sends his family. And then notice who else he sends. Verse 2, 1 Samuel 22, verse 2. Everyone who was in distress, oh boy, here they come. The distressed people to the rescue, really? Distressed, everyone who was discontented, everyone who was in debt, they gathered to him. So God sends his family, the last people in the world David would really want down there in that cave with him, but there they are. God sends all these malcontents down to him, these people who are, who are, who are, who are struggling in so many different ways. What, what does that reveal to us? That reveals to us that the people were aching under the rule of Saul. They heard about Saul. He was given to intense bouts of depression. He seemed to be going mad. And the people couldn't take it anymore. And they heard about David. Hey, wait a minute. I heard about this guy. David, remember him that slayed the giant? He's down in a cave. He's down in a cave? Well, let's go down there. God sent all these people down there to him. What's God up to? When you're in a cave, I think God's trying to teach us a lesson here. 
Notice the people that God brings into your life. It's very easy to dismiss people, right? Because we expect God to work a certain way. But are our ears open? Are our eyes open? Are we noticing what God is doing? God is sending these people down to David so that David can start looking outside himself. Because you see, he's, he's so in his head. God says, it's time to start getting you out of your head. Start getting your body, get in, getting into your body and getting involved in the lives of people. It's counterintuitive. It's the last thing that you want when you're in a cave. But I think that there's a lesson to be learned here. When I was in college, just like a few years ago, um, <clears throat> I had transferred from a school in the UK to attend a school in the South, Tennessee, Southern Adventist University. I had been living in Europe for a number of years. My mother is from Norway, and I had lived there for some years, and then I decided to go to start college in England at Newbold College. And um, I wanted to finish out my undergraduate education in theology at Southern. Now, I didn't know anyone there. I, I'm not from the South. So, you know, I was up for the adventure. It's, you know, it's a new experience. I don't know anyone. But I wasn't really prepared for the impact of that when I finally showed up. And I must say that my first semester at Southern, my sophomore year, um, was not very good. I was having a hard time connecting with people. I wasn't really making friends. And I, it was kind of a reverse culture shock in a way. You know, I had been immersed in living in, in Europe, and then I came back to the States. It was kind of like, you know, even the way that, that we do education here in the United States is different than Europe. And I was having a really difficult time. And let me just say that the, the crutches were being removed in my life, these things that I depended on. I had, didn't really have any friends. I didn't really have anyone to turn to there. And I was contemplating um, going somewhere else. And as all these things were swimming around in my head, I showed up to a Vespers one Friday night. I sat in the very uh, back of the church, and I was feeling very low. I was quite discouraged. I was wondering, God, I thought you led me here. Why am I going through this? And then I learned, and this was the straw that broke the back, so to speak, I learned that a mentor of mine, someone who encouraged me in the ministry, when I didn't really see it in myself, he encouraged me in ministry, I, I learned that he had just tragically died in a car accident. And you know, the, the weight of all of these feelings I was having, it just, it just led to me sitting there by myself in the back crying. And as I was crying, my head was down, you know, in, in my lap, so to speak, and I felt an arm around my shoulder. He didn't say anything, but he just put his arm around me. And that human touch communicated volumes. You're not alone. And when I opened my eyes to look and see who it was, 
to my surprise, it was the last person I would have ever thought would reach out with concern and compassion toward me. It was someone, and I'm ashamed to say this, that I had judged in my heart. Oh, this person's not a Christian. The way he looked, the things he did, the way he acted. I noticed him on campus, wasn't a very large school. And I looked, and it was, it was this guy. When David was in that cave, God sent people to him, the least that he expected, the last people. God was saying, David, I see you. You need to start looking outside yourself, outside your situation. And the Bible says that David became captain over them. What kind of place was that cave? It was a place of training. That's what it was. And it doesn't really matter what your lot in life is, where you are in that cave. There are no little people and there are no little places in the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. With God, there are no little people. There are no little places. In fact, there are no genuine success stories that begin anywhere else but defeat and discouragement and failure. Your cave is the beginning of a success story because God can reroute your life. Now, these men, they became known as David's mighty men. You can read about them in 1 Samuel chapter 10 and then 1 Chronicles 11. And these men as David poured his life into them, even when he was in the midst of a cave, they became known as David's mighty men. We are told that David said he was thirsty one day, and they risked life and limb to go get him a drink. You don't just do that for anyone. You do that because David built some character into them. This is where David learned to become the king. It was actually in the cave. It was a core part of his leadership story. He became a maverick king. Israel had never seen, would never see a king like this ever again. He was a Robin Hood type of king. Why? How? David was beaten all the way down, and he had nowhere else to look but up. Because God rerouted David's life. There are three applications of this story I would quickly want to relate to you here. Three applications that come from three different psalms that David wrote while he was in the cave. Why did the change take place? Number one, David heard enough to admit his need. David heard enough to admit his need. Again, in Psalm 142... <clears throat> first two verses there we read i cry aloud with my voice to the lord i make supplication with my voice to the lord i pour out my complaint before him i declare my trouble before him david heard enough to admit his need when you are hurting when you're in that cave the truth about your situation must be declared to someone the more you sit with it by yourself in isolation, the worse it gets. The power of declaring the truth, of letting your story get out there to someone, someone you can trust, a compassionate presence can make all the difference. We all need someone to be able to unload our burdens. I say first go to God, but we also need a human, a human presence to be able to, 
to, to disclose our, our great burdens. And so I encourage you, find a pastor, find an elder, find a mental health professional, a trusted friend, someone that you can turn to and that you can begin to, to open up and disclose and tell your story. Maybe all it takes is 30 seconds of courage. 30 seconds to be able to just get it out there. I guarantee you, when you become vulnerable in this way, you start to make connections with people. It's the beginning of connection, of relationship. And you're on the path to healing. Number two, so David heard enough to admit his need. David was honest enough to cry for help. David was honest enough to cry to help. Somewhat related to the first, but in Psalm 57, as we go back here, <clears throat> verses 2 through 5. David says, I will cry to God most high, to God who accomplishes all things for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He, re he reproaches him who tramples upon me. God will send forth his loving kindness and his truth. My soul is among lions, David wrote. I must lie among those who breathe forth fire. Even the sons of men whose teeth are spears and arrows and their tongue a sharp sword. But be exalted above the heavens, O God. Let your glory be above all the earth. David was honest enough to cry out for help. You know, it's sad that so many of us have lived under a veneer for so long that we don't even know how to cry out for help. I think that the men among us are perhaps the most shackled when it comes to this kind of thing, the practice of asking for help. There is scarcely a husband who will cry out to his spouse when he is in great need for fear of losing something, such as pride, self-respect, when in fact he will gain something. She will adore him for letting the cracks show. And if you can just muster up that courage to be real, to share a hurt, a need, a cry for help, you would experience grace and love in ways that perhaps you never have before. Our third lesson is that David was humble enough to learn from God. Humble enough to learn from God. In Psalm 34, <clears throat> the first few verses there, David says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let, let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. It's a tragedy that we go through the cave, but we don't pause to ponder and gather the lessons that we can learn from the cave-like experience. I believe that a spirituality of everyday life, well, this is really the only kind of Christian discipleship out there that's worth anything because that's where we work out our salvation. It's in the everyday life. It's in the midst of these cave-like experiences. This kind of spirituality, I believe, can be cultivated by spending time each day. You don't really need a lot of time to do this. 
a few minutes perhaps, at the end of your day, pausing to ponder the movements of your heart throughout the day. When did you feel close to God? When did you feel distant from God? You start doing this over time, and you begin to learn those lessons, the lessons of your heart, and you begin to learn from your cave-like experiences. Okay, as I thought about this passage, I couldn't help but see the obvious parallel with our collective experience amidst the COVID-19 pandemic. The lockdowns, the mask mandates, all of the restrictions in seemingly every area of our life, it was kind of like living in a cave, wasn't it? We're only now beginning to realize the disastrous results and the toll that it's taken on our mental health. As I thought about this story of David in the cave, I also also couldn't but help but be drawn to the Lord Jesus Christ. He came to this cave of a world, he died, he rose again, and in so doing, he rerouted humanity. Having lived in my own cave, I know that there are no easy answers. I don't propose to give you the formula, hopefully some way marks along the way. But if God rerouted David's life, and I stand here today to testify that God has rerouted my life on numerous occasions, then I'm confident they ought to be able to do something for you. Do you believe that today? The questions remain, will you be honest enough and vulnerable enough to admit your need? Cry out to him for help. Will you be humble enough to learn from God and notice the ways he may choose to help you by bringing people into your life, to getting you to look outside yourself, to get engaged in service? Perhaps your experience and what you've gone through is the way that God can use you to reach out with great specificity to others in need. Will you trust him? Will you put your hand out toward him and say, Jesus, I need you. I assure you that if you can do this, if you can surrender in this way, you'll realize that trusting God in the midst of a dark cave is still safer than a known way. And God will reroute your life. Thank you.